you that we are forever free. Just like that song says, I love that line, we're forever free because of how good he is and how much that he has loved us, that he has set us free and we don't have to turn back to our old ways anymore because he has set us on a direct path straight to him. If we would just follow his ways, we thank you, God, for how good you are and how worthy you are of all of our worship. Oh 
Man, I'm encouraged this morning. You know why? Because I was reminded that in the Old Testament, when Israel went to war, they said, who's going to go up first? And the Lord said, send Judah first. Send that praise team first. Amen. He said, let the praisers go out into the battle first. And that's what he's saying today. He's saying, whatever battle you're going through, whatever hardship you're going through, whatever you're getting ready to face, go ahead and start praising and send that praise team out first before you try to do the fighting, right? Because that's where the Lord will come and destroy the enemy before you even have to because it's whose battle? It's his battle. He said, send that praise team out first. Let's do that, eh? Amen.
our battles, that we don't lean into our own understanding, that we give them to you every single time. You are good. You are worthy. We thank you, God, for not only just saving us, but doing good things for us. He has good plans for you guys. Amen. He is good. He has good plans. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, we're glad to have you here this morning. If you would, just go around and greet some of your family of faith.
morning, everybody. Good to have you today. Live streamers, wherever you're watching from, um, whatever platform you're on, good to have you also say hey on there. Prayer requests, put them on there. We'd love to pray for those uh, at the end of the service if you put some on there. But it's good to have everybody today. Uh, tithe and offering if you have something to uh, give this morning. Offering envelopes from the chairs in front of you. If not, uh, ushers have uh, uh, offering envelopes. They also have prayer request uh, cards. So if you have a prayer request this morning, we'd love to join in faith with you on that prayer need. Ask for one of those. Wave your hand around and you can turn it back to the ushers or give it to me after service. We'd love to uh, spend time in prayer over those needs. But it's good to have you today. As always, uh, we want you to know that your giving is so important to us and your faithfulness is important, that, that we believe God does above and beyond anything we could ask or think in all phases of our lives, including the, the, the giving that comes in the church. Amen? And we believe that God is doing good things in the house, is he not? Amen. So we appreciate your giving and all of the things that happen because uh, you are faithful in your giving. So let me pray over that this morning. And if you have something, you can bring it down to the, the baskets that are uh, down on the floor down front. Lord, we thank you. Uh, we continue our worship now and our giving that the tithe is holy unto you. The offering is, is things that you put on our heart by the Spirit, uh, led by the Spirit in our giving, Lord. And we, and we give cheerfully because the worship is, is a cheerful experience uh, that we have not to experience it ourselves, but to glorify you. And cheerfully, because it's all of our heart, and we do it in such a way it's thanksgiving to you. And our giving is a thanksgiving offering, Lord. And we, we thank you for the provision and the increase and always being in front of us for the things that we need in life. Because you, you told us not to worry about these kind of things, but seek you first. And you add all these things unto us, and that's the way we live, Lord. And we thank you. And this offering is a testimony to the goodness and the faithfulness of those words. And, and I pray, Lord, that even those that may be struggling in this time financially, Lord, that you show up in ways that they didn't think were possible. And, and you show yourself faithful as you are. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Everybody says, amen. So if you have something, bring it. I do have some uh, announcements real quick. Uh, first off, uh, today, right after church, this was just something that was impromptu this week, but if you're on the kids' church team, uh, you serve down, downstairs with our kids, I'd love to meet with you after church just for just a few moments. So as soon as church is over, if you need to deal, deal with your own kids, do so, but we'll meet right over here uh, just for a few moments before you head out today. Uh, and I just have some things I'd like to share with you, some updates and, and give some things out. Uh, secondly, church picnic. Finally, we're in July. Today's July. Amen. Do you feel like it's halfway through the year already? A little insane, isn't it? It's kind of moving. So anyways, we are in July. Uh, at the end of this month, the last Sunday of the month, July the 30th, we have a church picnic. It'll be at the Urbana Park. So we're going to head over there after church. Uh, that's also a one big family Sunday because it's a fifth Sunday. So all of the church will be together, including kids for service that day. We'll close up just a tad early and head to the park for a picnic. So that'll be a good time. So all you need to do is bring some food or dessert to share. We'll provide the main thing, and uh, that'll be a good time. So plan on being there. And then the day after that, July 31st through August the 4th, we have what we call Serve Week here at the church. And every night, including Wednesday that week, by the way, 
we're going to be out doing some things in our community, serve week. So we want to get outside the four walls of our church and go serve our community with the gospel of Jesus. So what we're going to do, probably in a couple weeks, we'll put a sign-up sheet out for each thing that we're doing each night, and you can check it out and sign up for what you want to be a part of, okay? And uh, one more thing after that is August the 6th, I believe it's the first Sunday of August, uh, the main campus, uh, I call it the mothership. The mothership is having uh, an event for their kids called Aqua Grande. It's a big, giant water event uh, behind the church, and they do it every year. It's, it's just a big outreach event that they do. Uh, we're planning on, uh, as we did last year, taking our kids who want to over for that event. So if you want your kids preschool through fifth grade, sign up in the back, and that day at church, they'll actually get out here just a little bit early, load up, and head over for that event. And uh, we'll have to have some volunteers for that. But if, if you're interested in that, let me know, and uh, I'll give you some more info. And, and, of course, youth camp's coming up July 13th to the 15th. So if you want your student to go to that uh, and you haven't signed them up, please let me know. Or if you don't know about it and you want more info, again, ask me, and I'll help you out. All right. I'm always glad when announcements are over. If you got your Bible, get it out. I hope you brought a Bible today. Bring your word to church. Because we always get in the word. What, what's the word without the word, right? Amen? So always bring your Bible to church. So get it out if you have one. You can open to the book of Hebrews and chapter number 7. And we will get there in a few moments. But I'm going to close out a series we've been in for the past six weeks or so, seven weeks maybe, on discipleship. That we are called to be followers of Jesus. Amen? And it is a daily lifestyle of Total commitment, all your body, all your soul, all, all your inward being, your mind, and your strength. Total commitment of following Jesus each and every day. So discipleship is following a master, and that's Jesus, and learning from him. And, and to be a disciple is simply to be a Christian, to be like Christ. In other words, it's ultimately... Um, the working out of repentance. I've asked for forgiveness of sins, but now what is this new life that is in front of me? Well, discipleship leads you into and walks you through what new life is in him. In other words, one way you can look at discipleship is what person am I, what kind of person am I going to be now that I believe in Jesus? What person am I going to be now that I follow Jesus? That's discipleship. I, I, I was at uh, teaching in a or, or teaching, I say, I had a session with a, a, a local high school fellowship of Christian athletes a couple of years ago. And, and it was a local high school, and I coached there for many years, so I knew a lot of the kids in the room, right? And when I say I knew a lot of kids, I knew a lot of kids, all right? Put it that way. And the biggest question I ask them is, how many believe in Jesus? And everybody in the room raised their hand. I said, well, what good is it to believe in Jesus if he's not changing your life? Right? See, the essence of discipleship is not just that I believe in Jesus, but how is he changing my life? Because you can make a statement of belief with no follow-through all day long. But how does my belief in Jesus change my life? That's the essence of discipleship. I just don't want Jesus to be my Savior, and he is. He forgives me. But now that he's Lord of my life, how do I live in light of my salvation? That's discipleship. 
So a couple weeks ago, how I'm closing this series out, maybe in a little bit of a different way. The church uh, recognizes as a whole, worldwide, across denominations, across tribes within the Christian faith, however you want to say that, they hold what are called the sacraments, and there's two sacraments, water baptism and communion. Some, Some traditions call this the Eucharist. And a couple weeks ago, I talked to you, what is it, What does it mean to be a disciple in light of water baptism? Why do we practice water baptism? Well, discipleship in light of water baptism is now I live forward in my baptismal identity. Old man coming out, the new man. Discipleship is the living of the new man. That's what water baptism represents. But today I want to talk to you about what does discipleship mean in light of of communion? And there, there, are, there are churches that every time they get together, they partake of communion. I've been a part of a church uh, growing up that we took communion once a quarter. Uh, here at our church, I would say every two to three weeks or so, we're not on a regular pattern, but we consistently partake of communion together. But why do we do it? I, I want to I talk to you a little bit about it today because I want you to have a, a broader understanding of why we practice the church sacrament of communion in light of discipleship. So I'm going to put a screen up. I think I've got Christian back there. So Christian, if you can find that screen for me, the slide, and just put this up there. It says, discipleship is lived in the remembrance of the death of Jesus as it is the focal point of the Christian life. Amen. That, that's, that should bring a resounding amen from the people. We live our Christian faith in light of what this represents because this is the focal point of the Christian life. Because without this, you can't have the Christian life. The fullness of the forgiveness of sin, new life offered, you can't have it without this. So we consistently, in an ongoing way, partake of communion in remembrance, it's the reminder of the death of Jesus, as that is the focal point of why we live the way we live. So, here's what I want to do. It's always my goal uh, in presenting the word to, to simplify it as much as possible, kind of decomplicate it, because I, I want you to, every week, to, to be uh, able to take a couple things with you and learn how to apply it to your life. Okay, that's the goal. I I think often in a church, uh, I I think we are educated well beyond our application. Let's put it that way. We hear a lot, but how much are we trying to apply? You can can have a head full of of Bible knowledge or or understanding, maybe even revelation, but it hasn't gotten here. So having said that, today's not going to necessarily be simplified. I'm going to actually go big picture with you today. So I want you to, if you, if you have one, put on your thinking cap, okay? may need to elbow your neighbor today and, and let them know, let, let's, let's walk through some things together because I want you to catch a big picture understanding of the practice of communion. See, at the Last Supper, and you remember the story, the, the night that Jesus is pre- betrayed and leads into his crucifixion and certainly his resurrection, At the Last Supper, Jesus takes 
what is happening at the moment, this Passover meal in a certain way that they are having together. And, and the Passover meal is uh, the remembrance of the Exodus event that we find in the Bible. So the book of Exodus, obviously, is where you find that. And he takes this Passover meal, representative of the Exodus story, and he takes the entire thing and reorients it to himself. And what I mean by that is this. So if you remember the story in the Bible, the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. Remember, they ended up there in a good thing, remember, because uh, Jacob and his family were escaping famine, right? But as they multiplied there, the Egyptians enslaved them, and after a long period of time, they find themselves in slavery, and the people of God are crying out to God. God hears them, and he sends the deliverer, Moses, to get them out of Egypt, not only to worship properly, but head them towards this promise of the promised land. And if you remember the stories of the plagues, the very last plague, the 10th plague, was the death of the firstborn. Remember that? As the story goes, as this plague is going to come through Egypt and take the firstborn of Egypt, in other words, uh, all the firstborn were to die, Whatever house on the doorframe had the blood of a slain lamb on the doorframe was exempt from this plague. In other words, uh, this death that went through the land passed over those houses is where you get the term Passover from. Death would pass over the houses where the blood of a slain lamb was on the doorframes. And what happened was after this event happened, Immediately, God instituted a yearly celebration of that event. So every year, the Jewish people celebrate the Passover, and they have a meal together. And of course, according to their calendar and what they do, that meal leads into the Feast of Unleavened Bread that lasts for, I think, seven days or something like that. So Jesus, at this Last Supper, and they're, they're, they're sort of celebrating a Passover meal, maybe, and, and, and there's some question on the timeline of exactly when these things fall into place of what Jesus was doing with his disciples. He takes what the meal represented, the exodus out of Egypt, and he reorients it to himself. I'll explain that in a few moments here. And by the way, everything that starts to happen in this exodus event become very symbolic of Jesus. So, you know, the Israelites leave Egypt, and, and one of the first things you read is they get to the Red Sea, remember? And all of a sudden, Egypt starts to pursue them, and God performs this incredible miracle and splits the sea, right? And, and they, they pass through the sea to safety. Jesus is now the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Then, then they get to... Mount Sinai and Moses is up on, on the mountain and, and he received the law and the Ten Commandments and covenant is established. But now Jesus, as we're going to see today, he establishes a new covenant. Not that the old is bad, but, but the old could not fulfill all things. So Jesus comes and fulfills it. And with this new covenant, you see established the tabernacle, which later is the temple and then, then the priesthood and then the sacrificial system. In every facet of things that come out of this, in some way, Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. 
And what Jesus is doing at that Last Supper is he is taking that entire thing and he's saying, it is fulfilled in me and it will happen in this way. That's a big picture of what's going on. So the Exodus event that we find in the Bible is what's called a motif. Uh, in other words, it is a pattern that you see. And if you really look through the Bible, especially through the Old Testament, you'll see this pattern of, of exile and, and exodus out of exile happening. In other words, there's always a pattern of out of something and into something. That, that pattern's all through the Bible. Out of something and into something. Uh, by the way, the, the greatest uh, big picture pattern we see in the Bible of this is sort of almost a reverse way of seeing it. But you have Adam and Eve in the garden, and then sin comes. What happens? They are exiled out of the garden. But the amazing thing is that God doesn't leave them in exile because the big picture story of the Bible from Genesis 3 all the way to the end of Revelation is that he is making all things new. They were taken out of something, but we're heading into something. You see that? And you see this, this motif, this pattern all through the Bible. As a matter of fact, uh, the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, the Exodus event of the Bible is the basis, the foundation from which they draw a recurring message of hope for Israel and the nations. Again, it's being fulfilled in Jesus. See, Good Friday and the resurrection of Jesus are the gospel Exodus for us. In other words, out of sin and into new life. You see that? That's the pattern. And by the way, in this, Jesus is fulfilling the big story of Israel, but doesn't stay contained to Israel, but then goes to all the world. So, to say this then. Everything that we see in the story of Israel and Moses, and the Exodus, and then the instituted Passover meal that, that we are taking representative of here today. Then the temple, and the priests, and the sacrifices, everything is fulfilled in Jesus. And that is a big deal to see that, understand that. So, at the Last Supper... As Jesus and his disciples, and at the time as Israel as a whole, when they were together in remembrance of the exodus from Egypt, and, and by the way, it was mixed most likely with an anticipation in their current moment. They, they were believing and hoping that God would deliver them from their current situation, which was the Roman rule. In the midst of this, Jesus reorients that meal in that time and the significance of that meal to himself and his work. And watch this, that he is the deliverer, capital T-H-E. In other words, he is a new and better Moses. And now there is a new way of a new exodus, better than the exodus that we find recorded in our Bible. And here's the fulfillment of all these things. And now he marks out a new covenant. 
See, what the Israelites received at Sinai, we call it the Old Covenant, but it was a way of life to bring a, a just and proper worshiping society of people called out from the nations to be his people. Again, this wasn't a bad thing. There wasn't something wrong with it, but it was not complete. It couldn't fulfill what really God desired in relationship and the fullness of reconciliation with him. Jesus institutes a new covenant at this meal. I'll show you that in a couple ways. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 22. We're going to look at three verses real quick. I encourage you to go back and read the entirety of these chapters. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 22. Simply this. And this, in, in talking about uh, the things that were former but being brought into the new things, the new covenant, says th that makes Jesus the guarantor of a what? A better covenant. Chapter 8, verse number 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is what? Better. Since it is enacted on what? Better promises. Chapter 9 and verse number 15. Therefore, he is the mediator, Jesus, of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems, redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So I read those to, to bring a, a simple point. This meal institutes a covenant between God and us. And this covenant, this agreement is enacted because of the bodily death and the bloodshed of Jesus. And, and see, a covenant is an agreement between two parties. See, see, see when, when the first covenant was enacted, the, the people of Israel were like, yes and amen, and we will do this all the way through. That's my paraphrase of what they said, all right? But by the time Moses was coming down the mountain, they already made a golden calf. I mean, it was, it, it was messed up from the start, right? It could not fulfill, e even when things seemed to be going okay. Even the, the, the tabernacle and, and the, the priesthood and the sacrificial system, even when that was going okay, it could not fully fulfill the intentions and the plans of God. It's only in what this mirror represents that the covenant finds its fullness. Why? John chapter 1, verse 29. You don't have to turn there. John the Baptist sees Jesus. And he makes one of the greatest revelations that we find in the Bible of who Jesus is. He cries out, he sees and cries out, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Incredible revelation. Amen. See, you'll see at different places in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews where we just were. 
really talks about the fact that Jesus is the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, superseding the, the uh, Aaron and, and Levitical priesthood. He's higher. He's greater. He fulfills the priesthood. Remember when Jesus saw the temple and he, he said, knock this thing down, I'll rebuild it in three days. Remember that whole story? He was talking about himself. He's the, great, he's the greater temple. Amen. But he also is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He fulfills all facets of it. And this specifically represents that. That in the Exodus story, when the, the blood of the slain lamb was applied to the doorpost and, and death passed over, what the blood of Jesus does for us is enacts life to the point that the second death, separation from God, will pass over us. It enacts to us the covenant of eternal life. Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb. And he provides refuge from death, the wage of sin, for those covered in his blood. See, it wasn't a coincidence that Jesus was crucified in connection with the Passover feast. But now in this new covenant, it goes like this that we find in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. That Jesus did the work so you don't have to. Because you can't. You can't do the work that fulfills it. Jesus did the work. So not only can you not do the work, don't try to do the work, don't try to boast in what you do because, well, you can't do it. But by the work of Jesus on the cross, those who are covered in his blood simply are responding in faith that we believe and we receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. Amen. So in Jesus, a new and better exodus because sins are forgiven. We come out of exile, separation from God and bondage to sin into a new covenant for all who believe resulting in eternal life and communion sums that whole story up. The bread, the body of Jesus, the cup, the blood of Jesus. And at that last supper, in all sorts of symbolism, then the lamb who would be slain is offering it. Do you remember the story of the transfiguration? It is an amazing story. Uh, so Jesus goes up on the mountain, takes a, a, some select disciples with him, and, and Elijah and Moses show up. And Jesus gets all radiant, all sorts of things happening, confusing the disciples that were with him. But you have, watch this, Moses, representative of the law, Elijah, representative of the prophets, and Jesus. And what does God say in that moment? This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. See, the disciples that were, were a part of this, he didn't say, hey, guys, listen to Moses. Didn't say that. He didn't say, listen to Elijah. Didn't say that. He said, the chosen in this deal is 
him. Listen to him. He is the fulfillment of what these guys started. Right here, new covenant. Moses' old covenant, prophets reminding of the old covenants, but here is the fulfillment of what they were doing in its perfection. Listen to him. Then we find Jesus at some point later takes us here. Listen to him. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. And verse 23, Paul writing here. And he says, For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion, the Lord's supper or the Lord's table, however you want to put it, was instituted by Jesus himself on the night before his crucifixion. Partaking of the bread and the wine, the grape juice, in remembrance of him, and its massive significance for us as Christians. Not only what it means for us in his crucifixion, but everything that it sums up in the stories that we find in our scriptures. It is a reminder that we are saved by actual events. That we literally partake of physical matter. A reminder that Jesus literally died. Every time we take communion, it is an act of worship. You know that? And it's probably the high point of our service that day. As a matter of fact, I would say this. When it comes to teaching in the church, the broad, the broad uh, topics and subjects that, that we can teach in the church... If it gets more than a hop, skip, and a jump away from this, we probably shouldn't be spending a lot of time there. Because this is the focal point. As Paul just wrote, we partake of this in a way proclaiming our belief that he is coming again. Amen. And we will partake of it until he comes again. So when we partake of communion, it is remembrance of what Jesus did. We partake of communion. It's the symbolism of the literal body of Jesus crucified. 
When you partake of communion, I believe there's a certain mystery of participation involved. I do, it's sacred. When you partake of communion, it's the symbol, the sign of a new covenant, a new mediator, a new way of living. See, the partaking of communion is loaded with meaning and symbolism. We partake of it to constantly remind ourselves of the centrality of what this represents. Amen. So what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to close out, obviously, by taking communion with, with everybody here. This represents the exodus of my life out of exile into new life. That I don't believe that words can fully capture what this means. We try. We write a lot of songs. We sing songs. I write a lot of sermons. 90% of the time I leave feeling like, yeah, I didn't get it done today. I, I didn't say it right. I didn't say enough. I always feel that way. because not, not beating up on myself, but just understanding it's so hard to capture this. That I live my life discipleship in remembrance of the death of Jesus because it's the focal point. So as often as we take communion, again, we don't take it every, every time we're together. But I don't ever think we take it too much. And I never want these moments to be cliche. I will just, it's what the church does. Sacred moment. When we do these things, we create sacred time and sacred space and sacred place. Mystery of participation. When Jesus gave it, he said, this is my body. This is my blood. So if you wish to participate in communion today, you don't have to. I always, think, I always say that. You don't have to. But if you'd like to, Stand up and come to the center aisle, if you would, and, and grab the elements and head around the edges. And we'll partake together in, in a couple moments.
You know, like uh, water baptism? We do this together. When we water baptize, we do it together because it's a sign to the community of faith. Uh, you, you can take communion yourself, I guess. But we do it together for a reason. It's also a sign to the community of faith that I believe. As Paul writes that we shouldn't do this in an unworthy manner to examine yourself. In other words, we don't take these moments lightly. At the table of the Lord, and he invites you there. And, and the thing about the table of the Lord, remember, at that first communion, Judas was there too. And Judas partook of, of the bread and the cup. When you partake today, you have an opportunity to come away from here not as Judas. That somehow, some way, this can be a part of God's grace in your life. The Lord served him knowing full well what was going to happen. He didn't go around the table, hey, here, here, here uh, Peter, and here, here John, and here James, and here Matthew, and going around Judas, and, and here, you know, he didn't do that. We have the opportunity to, to have a clean heart in this moment. Because of what this affords. If you feel like maybe you're a little unworthy to take this, see that verse in Ephesians chapter 2 that we read earlier that the way the new covenant works, it's a gift of God, not by works, so no man can boast. The gift of forgiveness is what this is about. That's a covenant with you, an agreement, that he will forgive you just by having faith in him. Ask. It's, it's simple. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. That easy. With, with, a, with a, a heart before him. Now, now the covenant says, okay, now, now follow me. Here's an agreement. Now follow me. Because once the supper was over, Judas went and did his thing. And for the time being, anyways, the rest of the disciples were with Jesus for the time being. You just ask and he'll forgive. Amen. Let's do that. Lord Jesus. For anybody whose heart feels far from you this morning or, or heart feels unworthy of you this morning, maybe a heart in shame this morning, a heart feeling condemned, I pray the grace and mercy of your spirit washes over them, cleanses them, 
Well, they, somehow, some way, they feel, they, they begin to understand the wonderful work of your forgiveness. It is constantly putting new life in front of us. Constantly. I thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, for those asking for the forgiveness of their sins, I know that you're here. I thank, I'm thankful that you're here. I pray for life change, newness, out of the old and into the new. I thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, as we partake this morning of the bread representative of your body, we thank you so much for your willingness to die on a cross in our place, to pay the wage of that sin, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We thank you for that. And we partake of the bread together this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your blood. Your blood that has been applied to the doorpost of our life, to the doorframe of our life. So ultimately that, that death passes over us. We can come out of that bondage of slavery, of sin. We thank you for that. For your blood washes away all the sin. Nothing is too big, nothing is too great, nothing is too dark. For we stand in the grace and the mercy that your blood affords. We partake of this cup in remembrance of that. Partake of the cup this morning. How about you in your own way, just for a moment, just worship him. We praise you, Jesus. We worship you. Your name high above. There is none like you. None like you. I thank you, Lord. For your overflowing grace, your overflowing mercy, the testament of who you are. For you are just and you will judge, but I thank you for mercy that has covered our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you're so worthy. So as we go this morning, we, we go in the full assurance that we've been in the presence of God today. We go in the full assurance that you are with us always, even to the end of the age. We go in full assurance that you're a God who loves us. And we will follow you. Lord, I pray a blessing on everybody here in the house today. Blessing on everybody who's traveling this weekend for Fourth of July over the next couple weeks for vacations. Lord, bless them and keep them and guide them. Bring them home safely. And we just worship you. All, all of our being, we worship you. Everything that we are, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Now, now before you leave, during that time, if you prayed and, and asked the Lord to forgive you of, of sin, and you want to talk, you want more prayer, come on down. We'd love to spend a moment with you. If not Wednesday night, come on back and have a wonderful service for you next Sunday. Bring somebody along with you. Be blessed as you go today.